If you have your Bibles, please stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. For context, I'll read verses 1 through 13. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 946. Page 946. And we stand because this is God's holy Word. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So for about the past five, six weeks, we've been... Uh, walking through verse by verse through Romans chapter 9. And so today we begin looking and gazing at Romans chapter 10. And I encourage you to not forget what you learned in Romans chapter 9. The Word of God has not failed at all. And the Lord can completely be trusted with all things. Not all Israel is Israel. There is physical Israel and there is spiritual Israel. The Lord's master plan of salvation has always included Jews as well as Gentiles. Souls from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. He will call whom He wills. He will have compassion on whom He wills. He will pass over whom He wills. Salvation is all of grace and salvation is all of God. These important truths from chapter 9 They are needed in chapter 10, and we need them all as we are pilgrims who are learning to live in this foreign land on our way home. So here are four items in which I want you to remember concerning salvation and moving forward. Item number one, if we are saved, do not think that your salvation is based upon your performance. If you are saved, do not think that your salvation is based on your performance. Your salvation is unconditional. You are justified by faith alone. Number two, if you are saved, share the good news of Jesus Christ and leave the results to God. If you are saved, share the good news of Jesus Christ and leave the results to God. Your salvation is unconditional. One is justified by faith alone. If you're saved, share the good news of Christ. Leave the results of God. You are not responsible for the salvation of any soul. 
but you are responsible to share. You and I have been given the command by God to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Number three, if you are not saved, God's law is not the answer. God's grace is the answer. For only faith in Christ saves. You cannot keep the law, as we will learn more about today. And number four, all those whom Christ died for, all those appointed to eternal life will be saved. That is part of God's promise. That all those whom Christ purchased with his blood on the cross, they will be come to salvation. But please do not take this in isolation and skip next week. Because next week is, yes, God is sovereign, but what are the means by which God saves individuals? It's by you and I looking at verses next week. So these important truths from chapter 9 we need to hold on to as we are moving into chapter 10. All those whom Christ died for, all those appointed to eternal life will be saved. Uh, We heard this in Acts 13 many, many months ago. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So those appointed by God they will be saved. Romans 10, we find Paul's heart and his prayer to God is for the salvation of the Jews. But his fellow Jews, his brothers and sisters, his kinsmen, they had a zeal for God, but as a warning for us, a warning for all of us this morning, a warning for those in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, zeal for God does not result in salvation. Just because one is zealous, just because one knows who Jesus is, just because one has all the facts about Jesus, this does not confirm that an individual has been born again. All souls saved and lost need to know this. If salvation is to come, if salvation is to occur, there must be correct knowledge. But that is that God's knowledge of God's righteousness, which is God's knowledge of God's righteousness, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Without the knowledge of Christ, people will establish their own way to be saved. But knowledge alone does not save. The study of salvation, known as the doctrine of soteriology, is a doctrine in which we must get right for the end result or fruits of getting this doctrine wrong is hell. That is where it leads. If we say as a people that we are saved by our works, if we say as a people that I am saved because this is how I live, if we say I am saved because I've done this and you haven't done this, I've done that, you haven't done that, we've gotten it all wrong. Salvation is all of grace. It is all of God. If we get soteriology wrong, the end result is hell. God's children must have a zeal for God, but our zeal must be according to His holy word. Otherwise, our zeal is according to what we say it is, which will not last. We must have a zeal 
for God, but that zeal must be according to his word. Romans 10, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So Paul discusses righteousness based upon the law that is also called salvation by works. This is quoted from Leviticus 18, verse 5. You shall therefore keep the statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. So God gave these words to Moses, who was a mouthpiece to his chosen people Israel. The context of these words are that of redeeming grace. Within Leviticus, that's what it's talking about, redeeming grace, that the Lord would be their God and that he would be their people. So the Apostle Paul is using them here in Romans 10, declaring that if you, are, if you are going to be saved by works, you will live by them. In other words, you will keep the law always. You will be perfect as God is perfect. If you are going to be saved by the law, you must live at all times without sin. Conclusion that Paul is pointing to, no one can be saved by their works. No one is saved by the law. No one can keep the law of God. So let's look at three passages uh, that Paul has already confirmed in looking at this. Romans 3, verses 19 through 20. Romans 3, 19 through 20. Paul said, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law of God shuts our mouth. I love that. I use this verse when I evangelize people. I mean, just think about it. When you start understanding God's law and you read it, and you're walking through it, eventually... It's there so that you and I would close our mouth and realize, you know what? I cannot keep it. I need a Savior. Is there someone who has kept it? Is there someone who has done it perfectly? Yes, Christ. The law of God shuts our mouths. It is a schoolmaster that leaves us speechless, declaring, I have Failed, I need a Savior. By works of the law, no human being will be justified before God. Second passage, Romans 9, 30-32. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So personal works do not save. No one can reach salvation based upon their own work. And then Galatians 2, 15 and 16. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So justification before God is not possible by works of the law. 
No one will be justified by works. Paul continues, Romans 10, verses 6 through 8. But the righteousness based on faith says, so basically he says, this is what it says if you're going to be saved by the law. This is what it says if you're going to be saved by faith. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14 here, which reads, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. So who can ascend into heaven to find Christ? No human can do this, and it's not needed, because God sent Christ to earth. Who can descend into the abyss and raise Christ? No human can do this. And it's not needed. God raised Christ from the dead. Paul's point here is that salvation is dependent fully upon God and the redemption that He has provided in and through His Son. There is no other way. Our work does not save. Our work cannot save. God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the way for salvation. Notice I said the way, not a way. A way is universalism. Where you basically declare all roads are leading to the same place and we're all going to get in. No. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas Schreiner made an excellent point. He says, faith doesn't concentrate on human capacities. He says, when we say we have faith, we don't back it up by saying, I have faith, dot, dot, dot. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Faith doesn't concentrate on human capacities. Faith focuses on what God has done in Christ. That's what faith does. Christ came to this earth. He taught humanity that our works do not save. Jew or Gentile, you cannot keep the law. Your works are useless before a holy God. John MacArthur said, Works righteousness is a denial of the gracious salvation Christ provided by his own blood. James Montgomery Boyce, which was MacArthur's hero, And his Romans commentary speaks on the false religion of signs and wonders from these verses. And in our culture, we need to hear this. He gave three points of understanding here in a culture that loves to see signs and wonders. Number one, there is no additional word needed for salvation. There's no additional word needed for salvation. There's nothing that we can add to what God has said. There's nothing we can add to what Jesus has said in order for us to be saved. There is no additional word needed. Number two, there is no additional work needed for salvation. You do not have to walk an aisle. You do not have to say a prayer. You do not have to be in attendance for everything. 
You don't add to what Christ has done. Either Christ came and he obeyed perfectly to what the Father asked him to do, or Christ failed. There is no additional work needed for salvation. Number three, there is no need to look for additional miracles. There's no need to look for additional miracles. His point here is that Christ has accomplished it all. If you want a miracle, you want a sign, the only miracle, the only sign that you're going to get is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has accomplished it. That's his point. Christ has accomplished it all. Christ descended. Christ kept the law. Christ obeyed the Father. Christ died for the elect. And Christ ascended into heaven. And Christ will return. Christ has come and there is victory for sinners found in Christ. We do not search for more. We don't add to what Christ has done. We don't seek signs and wonders. We don't try to raise the dead. We don't name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. We look to verse 8, which comes from Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So the way of salvation is by faith, not by works. The only work that saves is the work of Christ. Salvation is by faith. Now, what is faith? Great question. Turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was committed as righteous by commending him, by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So by faith, by faith, through his faith, and without faith, no one can please God. So faith is a gift and faith lays hold of Christ. Faith is a gift from God to an individual that grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. This is what we have come to know as sole fide, faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And Westminster Shore Catechism words it this way, what is faith in Jesus Christ? What does faith in Jesus Christ mean? If someone were to come up to you and say, well, you have to have faith in Christ, and they responded by, what does it mean to have faith in Christ? How would you answer? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. It is through the proclamation of the gospel that it is offered to us. The 1689 put it this way, the grace of faith by which the elect are enabled to believe so that their souls are saved is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. Faith is ordinarily produced by the ministry of the Word. By this same ministry and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer 
and other means appointed by God, faith is increased and strengthened. You talk about a whole great teaching on the fact that how does faith come? It comes through the preaching of God's word. We get to that next week. But you talk about as the things that God has given us, the other gifts that he has given us as the church, what does he say? You want, you want your faith to be strengthened? Do what I've called you to do. Gather together. Sit under the preaching of God's word. Sing together. Gather together. The Lord's Supper. Gather together. Baptism. Do all these things. I have given you all these things. They're gifts. He continues. By this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the Word. Recognizing it as the authority of God Himself. If there is one thing we need to understand, when we start asking the questions, have you been spending time with the Lord? Have you, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been abiding in the Word of God? Those questions are not being asked because we're trying to be legalistic. If we really believe God has breathed this out and God wants us to spend time with Him, if we don't spend time with him, if we don't sit at his feet and hear what he has to say, what does it say about us? What does it say about what we cherish? What does it say about what our treasure is? What does it say that we are living our life for? Lord, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to spend time with you. It says, by this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the Word, recognizing it as the authority of God Himself. They also perceive that the Word is more excellent than, than every other writing and everything else in the world because it displays the glory of God and His attributes, the excellence of Christ and His nature and offices, the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and His activities and operations. What a great statement. It's saying that, am I actually cherishing Christ above everything else in this world? Or is everything else in this world above Christ in my life? So they are enabled to entrust their souls to the truth believed. They respond differently according to the content of each particular passage, obeying the commands, trembling at the threatenings of God, embracing the promises of God for this life and the one to come. But the principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, for sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. I was reminded of Philippians 3, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the word of faith is what you and I are to believe. The word of faith is what you and I are to proclaim. We do not add to the word of faith. We do not take away from the word of faith. The righteousness from God is Jesus Christ. So faith in Christ is what Christians declare as the true and only salvation. Meaning, if your salvation is not based upon Christ alone, I'm not saying this, God is. You are not saved. 
Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We don't add to that and we don't take away from that. It's all Christ. The righteousness from God is Christ. Faith in Christ is what Christians declare as the true and only salvation. There is one way and it's Christ. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the word that we proclaim is for faith that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The result is you will be saved. The confession. We must get this right. The confession. This is not just a simple utterance or declaration. We've gotten this wrong for so many years. Just because somebody walks an aisle and repeats something that somebody else has said does not equal salvation. It's not a simple utterance or declaration. If that's the case, we might as well be a Gnostic and say that everyone is saved. Repeat these words. Just saying the words, Jesus is Lord, does not save. Confession without possession of the Holy Spirit is not salvation. To confess is to openly declare that Jesus Christ is God. And our confession needs to flow from a believing heart. So it's not just what comes out of your mouth. It's is what coming out of your mouth, do you actually believe it right here? Is it actually something that you believe in your heart that if you were to die today and stand before a holy God and that holy God says, why should I let you in? Do you really believe that Jesus is God? Is Jesus actually your entrance? To confess is to openly declare that Jesus is God. You must truly believe what you are confessing. So what is a believing heart? Thank you so much for asking. That really helps me. Number one, a believing heart firmly holds that Jesus is Lord. He is God. Jesus is the Messiah. And we as his children are to obey his commands. A believing heart firmly holds that Jesus is Lord. Number two, a believing heart agrees with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've been in multiple circumstances where you're meeting with someone and you're hearing someone's salvation story and you're asking them questions. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place to go. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth that has problems, just like this church has problems. Hopefully not as extensive as theirs, but this is what he says. Now I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, so here's a warning. You and I can believe in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. All right, here we go. Paul's getting going now. Now, this is what I received. This is what I'm not changing anything. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking it away. This is what I have received. Context, Paul has received this from Christ himself. This is what I have received, and this is what I'm declaring to you. And what I'm declaring to you is this is of first importance. It's like you're, you're, in a, you're listening to a movie or a TV show and you're on the edge of the seat. Oh, here it comes. Here comes the best part. This is what he says. Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So these words tell us what is of first importance, that you believe that Jesus died for our sins, that you believe that Jesus was buried, that you believe that Jesus was raised on the third day. You believe the many witnesses that saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. So the question is, do you believe this? Are these truths about Jesus the foundation of your salvation? Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Jesus is not God. And the great revealer of true belief is twofold. Time and fruit. Time and fruit. As Christians, we get excited when an individual makes a profession of faith. I get more excited year after year after year when you see time that has passed since that profession, when you see fruit of the person that is loving the Lord and growing in sanctification. The words of John Murray are great. We are not to regard confession and faith as having the same uh, efficiency unto salvation. The contrast between mouth and heart needs to be observed. But we may not tone down the importance of confession with mouth. Confession without faith would be vain, but likewise faith without confession will be shown to be fake. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 1 John 5, 9 through 12, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is a testimony of God that he himself bore concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has bore concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. 1 John 3, verses 7 through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Aren't you thankful that God has given us examinations to say, look, we can look at an individual's life for what we can see, but more importantly, they 
take an inwardly look at their life and evaluate their life. Am I a child of God or am I a child of the devil? By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is what you find. They went out. They stopped loving. They stopped doing what Christians do. They went out of us because they were not of us. They have left us. They have abandoned us. Whoever believes in the Son has a testimony in himself. If you believe, there is a testimony there. It is active. If you love me, John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. That if you actually do love God, because if you have born again, you love God. It's not you're born again and you don't love God. If you've been born again, you love Him. Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is not saying that your works save you. What this is saying is, if you cry out, Lord, Lord, that doesn't mean you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who actually has been born again will live for the Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? As a young Christian, this really slapped me around when I was in high school because I pictured myself standing before the Lord and I pictured myself naming off everything I did for him. That's not what Christians do. We don't stand before a holy God and say, Lord, look what I did for you over here. Oh, do I have a star next to my name? God, I shared the gospel with this person today. Does that mean I can do whatever I want the rest of the day? Lord, I prepared to teach. That gets me something, right? Lord, my child has repented and believed. I have gathered family together. We have got them baptized. I guess I'm, I'm done. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God's children, they continue to follow him. Believers testify that they belong to Christ. God's children, they practice righteousness. God's children, they work at keeping his commands, not for their salvation, but because they love him. God's children do the will of the Father. Turn with me to James chapter 2. Let's look at James chapter 2 for a moment. James 2, beginning in verse 14. So James and Paul, just picture James and Paul, their backs are to each other, and they're fighting the same battle to two different groups of people here. They're fighting the exact same battle, saying different things, but pointing to the same Savior. James 2, beginning in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Oh, you have theology? You believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Great, so do the demons, but they're not saved. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, when someone is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, that faith is never alone. The faith that God gives will bring about sanctification and will ultimately lead to glorification. Because God's children, they continue to follow him. As Jesus said, they will hear my voice and they will follow me. One is saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Faith produces works for the glory of God. Demons believe, but they are not saved. To confess and believe is to repent and live for the Lord. This is not the life of demons. Saving faith confesses that Jesus is Lord and they truly believe it. When you as a Christian totally believe what Jesus has done and accomplished, you cannot help because the Spirit is in you. The Spirit will move you to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Saving faith obeys the Lord. Paul, he wanted all Israel to be saved. Israel wanted to be saved by their works. His heart's desire and prayer for them was that the Jews may be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10, verses 11 and 12. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. The amazing thing is, this comes from Isaiah. This is not something that Paul wrote. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Isaiah 49, verse 23. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, because God's plan of redemption has always included Jews and Gentiles. Whoever believes will not be put to shame. There is no distinction. Paul later wrote in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So Jesus is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Romans 10, 13, we love this. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again, Paul stole this from the Old Testament. It's Joel 2, verse 32. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. From Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as Yahweh has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom Yahweh calls. So, if Paul is quoting this from Joel 2.32, in Romans 10, verse 13, Paul applies the word Yahweh to Jesus. This call is specific here. It is a call on Jesus Christ. It is a confession of Christ that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the name of Christ, will be saved. So those who call on Jesus, they follow Him. Those who call on Him, follow Him. They hear His voice. They follow Him. They know His voice. They listen. They want His voice. Those who call on Him are saved. Some might declare, what in the world do I need to be saved from? Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5 verse 9 teaches us this. We're to be saved from God's wrath. That if you are in this room right now, or if you're listening If you have not been born again, God's wrath abides, rests, sits, covers you. You must be saved from God's wrath. What do I need to be saved from? You need to be saved from hell. Hell is a real place. When Christ returns, he will judge. He will gather everyone. He will judge and he will separate You either know Him, you have a relationship with Him, you've repented of your sins, you believed in Christ alone for your salvation, or you are lost. Hell is real. And He will sentence everyone, He will send them all there, and forever will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And the gnashing of teeth is a picture of the fact that they will continue to hate God all the more. We need to be saved from God's wrath. We need to be saved from hell. We need to be saved from condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. We are condemned if we are not in Christ. We need to be saved from guilt. Jeremiah 33, verse 8. Romans 10, verse 11. It says we need to be saved from shame. Romans 4, verse 8, we need to be saved from sin. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer said this to Paul and Silas. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So we are saved from wrath, hell, condemnation, guilt, shame, and sin. We are saved from these things, and we are saved to something. This is what I believe so many in America do not grasp. It's not, I am saved, I'm good to go. No, you are saved from something, you are saved to something, and that too is the glory of God. If your life is still about you, always examine yourself. 
If you think you've done a good enough job, you've missed the gospel. You could not have died. You could not have been nailed to that tree. And what your sins, your blood could not have covered anything. We are saved to glorify God. That's what God must be about and is about all the days of his life. He is preeminent. He has always existed for him to think about anything else except his glory is wrong. He is always about his glory. We are saved to justification. No more condemnation. We are saved to enjoy God, to commune with Him. We are saved to follow His commands and please Him. We are saved to soak in what Romans has said and Paul has said. We are saved to soak in His riches for all of eternity. We are saved to the kingdom of heaven. And if you're saved to the kingdom of heaven, you're going to live like you are a member now and as if you are there now, you will worship Him. Salvation is not by works, it's by faith alone. Zeal for God does not result in salvation. We need a zeal for God based upon the knowledge of God, which is found in God's Word alone. And salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God, the justification, the sanctification, the glorification in which God has provided for us is Christ. We don't add to it and we don't take away. Jew or Greek, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The question is, have you called on Christ for salvation? Have you confessed before others that Christ is your Savior? Because if you are ashamed of Christ today, Christ will be ashamed of you when he comes. Mark 8, 34-38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We need to hear this as Christians who have everything. We have everything in Christ. Do not get caught up in the everything that the world gives. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Some of us, we are forfeiting the souls of those in our household so that we can gain the things of this world that are dying. What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... And in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And he is coming to judge. Romans 1 verse 16. For I, as Paul has said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Is your faith in Christ for your salvation. Because Christ, he bestows his riches on all who call on him. And as Christians, what evidence is your life producing that you are his? Are you presently following him or is your life about the love of this world?
the beginning of this year, we started working on Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since I have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? Because if it's not by faith in Christ, you do not have peace with God. You have God's wrath abiding on you right now. Is your faith in Christ for salvation? Father, as we have heard about over and over in Sunday school, and the songs that we have sung, and the texts that we have looked at. We're not good enough. Our works will not save us. And the biggest picture that reminds us of this is there's nothing that we could do to be in a right standing with you. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to live a perfect life. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to rise. Jesus had to ascend. And we know because all this has happened, Jesus will return and judge. As Paul's words have penetrated our hearts and our minds if we're saved, His heart's desire and longing is for them to be saved. Lord, we long as your children to see more and more salvations to come. To see brothers and sisters and family members and sons and daughters and wives and husbands come to faith in Christ. And the means by which you do this is through the proclamation of the gospel. It's through you using sinners whom you have redeemed or sinners in general that have not been redeemed to proclaim it is true faith without works is dead. And your children, they hear your voice and they listen. Father, whatever sins you have brought to our mind and our lives this morning through the preaching of your word, whatever you know exactly, every struggle, every sin, every way in which we are straying and walking away and every area in which we are loving this world and not loving you. Lord, I pray that we would confess those things. We would turn away from those things and you would work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit an amazing change for your glory. That we would glorify you all the more. Father, for those who are not saved, who have their faith and hope and trust and zeal without knowledge or in Jesus plus something else, convict them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for using a fool like me. Lord, I pray that 
your holy word will be remembered. And I pray as we leave this place, Lord, we will be saying, what a wonderful Savior. I do not deserve Christ. I will never deserve Christ. He has given me everything. It's in the name of Christ we pray and ask all these things. Amen.